Hey there, and welcome to our podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now, enjoy the episode. Philippians chapter 3 is where we will be uh, preaching from this morning. Excited to dive into these verses. Um, Where we are picking up this morning is, that's been a few sermons ago, we just lightly lightly mentioned a few of these things. But this morning, we're going to dive into them, all right? And um, if, you've, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, uh, you know that our theme for this year is striving together. Um, Philippians 1.27, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We've been understanding that the church is not where I go, um, but it's who I am. The church is made up of people. Amen. As Sister Gail read this morning, I am the church. We're thankful, amen, for everyone that makes up this local body, amen? And we're thankful for everyone that is here this morning. Now, Paul has been, I, I believe, laboring um, while he's in prison, laboring to communicate to these believers that there needs to be unity. And unity is the enablement of unity comes from God, But the labor to be unified must come from us, right? He enables us to labor. And uh, so he's calling them to be unified together. That there is a common uh, point to be unified, uh, which is the gospel, right? There's one thing that can bring everyone together, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should be the sole interest of every believer. That's the point of our existence That's the point of why God is allowing us to continue on this earth. That's our purpose. Uh, Paul mentioned, we we, we dove into chapter 2, and he mentioned to us that we are not to be a selfish people. We're not to look just upon our own selves while living as if no one else exists. Uh, Or may I could say it this way. Let us not be with the body, uh, or be be amongst the body, but not be with them, or, or not be conscious of their existence. Uh, being the church is, is not in the sense of just coming to worship together. Being the church is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. I'm the church. I represent Christ. And I'm to be the body, whether I'm at the grocery store, in the classroom, or I'm working. Right? That's, that's who we are. And so we've been unpacking that this month. And we left off in chapter 2 with Christ, our greatest example. And he said, let this mind be in you. We focused on the fact that, that our mind needs to be poured into the mold of Christ's mind and let it be formed to his mind. It's his mind that we are to have. Amen? Man's thinking and man's mind always gets us in trouble, but the mind of Christ is a safe place. Amen? It, it is a place where the gospel will advance. And that's, that was Paul's, I think, um, passionate recommendation. That our minds be like his. Christ um, put himself last and he put his father first. He came to be the servant. The fo- he allowed himself to be in the form of a servant. 
uh, to be sacrificed when no one wanted him, when no one thanked him. That was the mind and is the mind of Christ. So that's where we left off. But we're going to jump into chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. I'm not going to re-preach all the verses before that, but we're going to remind ourselves a little bit about the preceding verses of what we're going to read today. But I want to pick up in verse 12 and read the rest of the chapter. All right? Chapter 3 of Philippians. And um, let's actually pick up verse 12. All right? If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Remember, this is Paul talking to this local church at Philippi. And he's, he's speaking of himself. He's already spoke about his conversion and his pedigree and all those things that he has considered lost. That Christ is his, is his uh, greatest thing that he has. Compared to anything else, Christ is the greatest of value. And then in verse 12, he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to, to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample or example. For many walk, of whom I, I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. In other words, our life, our, our, our citizenship, it's in heaven. That's that we live in according to that. Our conversation is in heaven. For whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned, likened unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What a glorious passage. Amen? And let's bow for prayer and ask God's blessings and help today. All right, Father, we, we don't want to go any further. We want to ask your blessings on your word. Um, Father, I only want to speak the words you, you permit me to speak. Uh, Lord, I, I, I'm not here um, to preach my message. Father, I, I'm here to preach your revelation. I, I pray, Father, we allow your text and the original intent of this text to be what is spoken. Nothing more, nothing less. It is your word that frees, the, it is the belief of the gospel that's in your word that frees the soul and it is a belief and a yielding upon the truths of, of this revelation that, that purifies our life, sanctifies our life, readies us, Lord, readies us 
Father, to be caught up, to be brought into judgment, to receive rewards, and to live with you for eternity. So, Father, I pray that we see, no matter who we are this morning, that the truth in this precious revelation is needed for our soul. And so, Father, help us as the church to allow this truth to be poured into our hearts and minds and respond to it this morning. If there be someone lost, not sure of their salvation, not sure of where their eternal home would be, Father God, I pray you help me to make the gospel clear. And I pray, Father, that you would just convict and draw them to yourself. I pray for every believer today that they would be uh, rekindled in their purpose. I pray that they would, be, uh, they would reckon again into their minds and hearts of who they are in you and the calling that's on their life. Help me to fade into the shadows that only you may remain standing here, that they see you alone. And in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Um, so I brought us back up to speed here of where we have been and, and where we are uh, this morning. As I said, Paul, last week we learned that Paul was recommending and calling our minds to ascend to the mind of Christ. For our minds to take on His mind. And where we are this morning is simply Paul placing his life on display. Because remember, again, where he is. He's in prison. It's not a five-star hotel. He's been persecuted. He's, in not, in, he's not in the comforts of life. He's in, the, he's in the lowest point in society, in prison. And I want you to understand, Paul's life is on display. And I, you know, I'm thankful that when... When someone speaks about something that it's life-changing and, it, and it, is, it makes such a big impact in my life that I see that impact and that change in their life. That brings validity. Not that it's not true, but their life is a testimony, right? It lifts that truth up louder to me. And that's what Paul's life is. That's what all of our lives should be. And so Paul's life is just elevating the truth that when you yield your mind upward to Christ, then you, are going, then, then you will yield at your life forward for Christ. Does that make sense? When you yield your mind up to Christ, then that will allow you to yield your life forward for Christ. And that's exactly what's happening with Paul. He could not be this great counselor and compassionate about the gospel being in prison if his mind was not in that prison. His mind was somewhere else. It was in the mind of Christ. It was with Christ, right? And we all have to make that decision. The Holy Spirit leads you to do that every day of your life as a believer. But then you must make the choice to ascend your mind. The world will give you all kinds of ways of escaping something. But I don't have to escape something. I can endure all things by putting my mind where it belongs, with Christ. And so if you want to be the church every day of your life, if you want to be the believer and everyone sees Christ in you, if you want your life to be on display where others can see the gospel, then your mind has to be with Christ. Husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, children, whoever you are, there's where your mind must be. Because this morning what we're going to understand is that Jesus has called you forward. We see our mind has been called upward. Because our life has been called forward. 
You ever like backtracking? You ever like taking the wrong turn? I've told you stories about, about you know, Andy enduring, <laughs> enduring when I get irritated, when I've missed the exit. And that takes me several minutes out of the way. We still get there, still get there a few minutes early. But man, I don't like backtracking. I don't like backtracking. I never liked a beagle dog that went backwards for the hopper. You know, the rabbit's that way, not that way. You know, there's this, and we don't like to backtrack. We don't like to take detours. And folks, we have something in front of us that's more important than anything else that would motivate us not to go backward. It's the advancement of the gospel. We must go forward. That's every believer's calling this morning. And so Paul's going to speak really about three things, unity, direction, and reward. Not to say the points are going to be all those things, but that's what you're going to see in this text. Now, I'm not going to start exactly where we started, but I want to actually start there in verse 15. Point number one is simply this, Paul's call to unity. He, you see unity in this entire letter. There must be unity. If there's going to be great advancement, right, and there's going to be a great march forward for the gospel, if there's going to be more ground covered and more time well spent, there must be unity together of this common, this common task, this calling. And so again, he calls for unity. We'll come back, but there was something that Paul again says in verse 15, Let us therefore, as many be perfect, that doesn't mean that you never do something wrong, right? Or, or, or that you never mess up, or that you always do the right things. But it's those that have believed on Christ. It's those that have trusted Christ as Savior. Those that have been positioned in Christ by their faith in Him. As many as be perfect, as many as be born again, as again, he's reiterating what we've read and preached on already. Don't be otherwise minded on anything else. Notice in verse 15. Be thus minded on this calling that we're going to unpack this morning. But notice what he says in verse 15. If any, if, if, uh, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So Paul is saying, I'm already assuming that you're probably, your mind is elsewhere at times. I'm already assuming as a pastor that everybody's mind is not focused on what God is saying from His Word. So I echo this as Paul echoes this. I pray that God will help your mind to be where it needs to be this morning. Amen? I pray that your mind be where it needs to be every day of your life as a believer. He said, if your mind's distracted, if it's elsewhere, God will bring this truth to your mind that you truly be unified in this calling that He's mentioned. All right? So he says, nevertheless, where we have already attained, let us walk by the same road. Let us mind the same thing, right? And so he has caught this great calling of unity Paul has given us. And he's saying that there is no time for any other thing. We must be focused on this calling. And that's where I want to spend most of our time, all right? But please also notice what he says before we jump to point number two. He's that there are those that are enemies of the cross. There are those that are not for your calling. There are those that want to distract you from your purpose of living as a believer. There, the, the world will say your life, your job is your life. Your home is your life. Your hobby is your life. That's your calling. That's your reason for living. 
But see, the thing about those things, those things can be taken away. And so therefore, you set yourself up for a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, and just, just you're, you're, you're heading for a train wreck of emotions. If you ever think, that's the reason, you know, when people say, I've lost my purpose, their life is just going down the drain emotionally. Their anxiety is building. When you set your purpose on something man-made, then man can take it away. But when you set your purpose on something that God has originally, that God has brought about, it's eternal. Amen? Our purpose is for God's purpose. No one can take the believer's purpose away when it's in Christ. There's enemies of the cross, but our conversation is in heaven. His calling. This, listen, before we step into this calling, listen to me. This calling doesn't come from your employer. This, this calling doesn't come from even the White House. This calling comes from the throne of God. It comes from Almighty God, the one that keeps your heart beating and your lungs taken in air. This is where this calling comes from. It's the most important calling of your life. All right? And so the main, what we're going to spend most of our time is in our second point. Okay? Who believes this calling is... that? I mean, he says, if you look there, he says in verse 18, And now tell you even weeping. Prison will be somewhere that I would weep for myself. But Paul's not weeping for himself. He is weeping for the, the reckoning of these believers' minds of where their life should be centered. Where the church, what the church is and its purpose. And it's for the calling of God. Who believes this calling is important? Who believes that what Paul's actually going to be telling us about this high calling is important? Who believes it's worth laying our phone down and not being on Facebook and let's get this calling in our hearts and minds? Amen? Is, is, is it worth it not thinking about tomorrow and our task and you know, what we're going to eat and all that? Who, who believes it's more important than those things? All right. Let's take what well, few minutes we have and let this calling be reckoned in our mind. This is God's calling on my life. All right? So point number two, Paul's call to right direction. There is a right direction, and Paul mentions it. So what you're going to find in Paul's life, there were some shifts, okay? I'm going to mention them. There's some shifts that happened with Paul, okay? These aren't on the screen. They're just mentioning these to you as we go along. But you're going to find that Paul had, an, had a, a, a shift of value, a shift of value. Okay, um, has anybody ever watched the uh, Antique Roadshow? Maybe that that's, doesn't hit every generation the same, but uh, <laughs> um, people will go and they think it's valued, maybe really low or maybe worthless, and then they've got something that's worth you know ten grand, and they're like, <gasps> they had a shift in value. They now they value that because someone's put. You know, put the right value on it. Or some have went saying, no, I've heard it's worth 20, 30 grand. It's worth about 10 bucks. Man, it's just a shift in value. It's just, they went home just not too happy about it. God has brought in Paul's life a shift of value. You see, before, I'm not going to go back and re-preach it, but Paul said, I used to value some things in my life. You can go back and look at verse 7 and 8. I'm not going to re-preach it, but he's simply saying that I valued some things before my conversion. I valued a man's recognition on my life. 
I valued and carried it highly. And out there where everybody could see it, my religious pedigree. I, you know, um, I, I, I valued uh, really sort of being arrogant with my education. Um, there's a lot of things he valued until God met him on the Damascus Road and helped him see that he was valuing the wrong things. Paul was converted, born again, trusted Christ, received him as Savior, and followed him as Lord. And he says, those compared to Christ and his calling, all of that else is like dung. doesn't get much lower or doesn't devalue. I mean, dung's pretty low. There's not much value to that. I guess it's value if you want to fertilize something. But other than that, it's just of no value. He said, it's, it's of no value. God's calling is the most valuable to me now. He said, comparing it to, if you notice there in those verses, he says that I may have the knowledge of Christ, that I may have the power of his resurrection, that I may be connected to his suffering, that I be shaped as a dead man to all these worldly things. That's of more value. And so Paul was speaking not only what needs to happen. If you'll notice here in verse 12, all right, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ. So in all of this, Paul is up now saying that when I trusted Christ in that moment, that was more valuable than anything else. But the shift of value, dear friend, doesn't begin and end at conversion. We must continually reckon what is more valuable and what's less valuable as we live for Christ. Has not the devil or the world ever crept in and tried to encourage you to shift what you valued? Right? Some will be, by the temptations of the world, their shift of value will be their shift of value for their family or their wife or their children or etc. I mean, there's a lot of things you may, the world wants you to shift your perspective of value. But Paul is saying in my life now, this maturity, this maturity, I've not already attained the most maturity. I've not, it wasn't an attainment of value and then it was over and I just valued Christ all the time more than anything else. He said, this is true. I've not already attained the perfect maturity in this, but listen, I follow after. That, that, we're going to find that mark, if you will. But why was, why was Paul, why has Paul shifted value? Why, why is there a value shift? Why is there such an endeavor and a weeping of Paul to continually have this shift of value? Well, if you'll notice um, in verse 12, at the very end of it, you see a shift in possession. Notice this. If that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of who? Christ Jesus. Apprehended means to, 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 to capture or to achieve or, or, or to gain or to have. He's like before, Paul was all about having his own life, right? I've attained me, it's my life, I control my life. That's not the same now for Paul. Paul was attained by Christ and by being attained or captured by Christ, by His grace, we find that Christ has given this life 
for Paul to live now. There is a purpose that I have been attained for. And it wasn't to live for me. It's not to gloat in what I have or my education or any worldly secular thing. But I want to follow after to attain what I've been attained for. And see, Paul had a shift of possession The possession now was by Christ. Christ has possessed me. In other words, Christ has taken hold of me. Do you remember when Christ took hold of you when you trusted Him as Savior? Anybody? Amen. He took hold of you. All of you is His possession. Every bit of you. So he says, because I have been taken hold by Christ... I'm going to make every effort to live my life to the goal of the one that has taken hold of me. Now, you think about, you'll do this for your employer, won't you? For, for, you know, for, the, for secular money, for a check. When they say, hey, you know, I want you to do this, and here's your job description. Here's, here's your purpose here while you're working for me. And so you, you, you go forward because you're laboring for him. Folks, we're not talking about a dollar bill. We're not talking about a check on Friday. We're talking about heavenly things. We're talking about heavenly reward. We're talking about a pleased Savior. That's what we're talking about. Christ has pursued you. You think about police officers. Before they attain somebody, they have to pursue that person, don't they? Ron, you've been a police officer. And Larry, you've been a police officer. You ever been on pursuit? Because you're going to attain someone, but you've got to pursue them. Grace pursues sinners. Why? To attain them. To attain them to To reposition them and repurpose them. We have a new purpose. And that purpose and that high calling comes from the Lord. But can I tell you this? The one, this Christ Jesus, the one who possesses us, is someone who is purposeful. He has purpose for us, but he's loving. He's a loving Savior, and that Savior has given us purpose. He's attained us for his purpose. Philippians 1.27, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what it's about. It is the high calling. So what we're witnessing in the Apostle Paul is a love for maturing for Christ. I've not attained full maturity for him, but I'm following after that maturity for him because of what he's attained me to do. So here, you, may, you could write this down. There's something I, as I was thinking about where Paul is now. Alright? This high calling. This life calling is about one person One purpose, one calling, one direction, one prize, all to the glory of one God. Let me repeat that if if you're actually jotting it down. Is one person, one purpose, one calling, one direction, one prize, all to the glory of one God. That's the high calling. All right? But notice this, so he's called me, he's identified who possesses me. If you're a believer, you've been taken hold by Christ. And so therefore, we also see a shift in direction. This new direction, all right? Um, And this is materialized because he knows who has him, who he belongs to. Okay? Um, So let's break this down. Let's look at verse 13, shall we? Let's, let's, Let's put our attention there. So brethren, I count not myself... To have apprehended. You know, I appreciate Paul's honesty. This is encouraging. This, before we go any further, this is encouraging. 
Now, who believes Paul was probably one of the greatest Christian, greatest missionaries in lineup of history, church history? Yeah. Yeah, look where he is. Look where his heart is. Look where, I mean, just truly mature a lot in his faith. But notice what he says about himself. In verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Apprehended what? That great maturity for the high calling of God. But we consider Paul a, a very mature Christian, do we not? So here is, here, is a, here is a great encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Paul admits that even now he's not yet acquired this. Or even reached this final goal for God, even in his life. And Paul does, however, clearly testify of his unity to Christ's mind. He wants to advance the gospel. And, and Paul is suggesting this. Paul is suggesting this. That in this life, I'm not saying that you will ever reach. And I'm almost certain, because Paul says, looking at my own life, that you will ever reach the most perfect maturity for your calling. That's not Paul's point. That, that there is a time, you know, is it five years into my Christianity? Is it, is it after, you know, checking off this list that I'm now the most mature that I'll ever be as a Christian? No, that's not Paul's point at all. Paul's point is simply this, is that you will never reach a complete, most perfect sense of maturity. But here's the point, that your goal should be that perfect sense of maturity. That is the goal that's set before you to seek after, to take hold of, because Christ has taken hold of you. That to be the mature Christian, to embody the gospel in all that God has made me to be today. Paul, Paul made mistakes all through his Christian life. And it wasn't until he come to the very end of his life, said, now I have finished my course, I've kept the faith, I've done all that. But until then, I am moving forward toward that maturity. I'm moving toward this same mark. So dear Christian, understand this. Success as a Christian is not reaching the most mature place, but it's keeping that most mature place your goal and what you seek after and what you head toward. Amen? I'm not condoning sin and saying it's okay to mess up. I'm encouraging you to get back up, repent, and keep going toward that mature mark. That's what Paul said. I'm not already attained. I'm not there yet. I'm not, not, myself, not myself to have apprehended. But, here it is, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Do you sense this single-mindedness again? This one thing, not ten things, not twenty things. Have you ever felt your mind just overloaded? Just somebody pulling your mind that way and, and you, by your own volition, pulling your mind twenty other ways? Listen, this is, this is a confession time for, for myself. Uh, <laughs> Ron's like, yeah, me too. We're all guilty of this. You know Christ has freed us to have the single mind? To have the single mind. He's like, Paul said, I used to care about the, my pedigree and this, that, and seeming looking like this and looking like that to, 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 the, uh, uh, to the community. And you may be caring about how you look on social media and how you look by, you know, you, you get to stretch in your mind to all these different places. But dear friend, dear Christian, you've been liberated to have the single mind. 
to just rest your mind on the most important thing, the high calling of God. And so Paul said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Aren't you thankful that God has liberated us to put some things to rest? To forget some things, to, to put the lesser value stuff behind us. I want to ask you to turn to two passages, Luke 9 and Hebrews 6. Luke 9 and Hebrews 6, give you just a few moments to find your place. And we're going to move on. Forgetting those things which are behind. Remember, Paul is saying, your calling is forward. That is it. It is forward. And going forward, it's not a matter that I'm going to be completely mature in my going forward, but I'm going to go forward toward maturity because of Christ and the calling on my life. Luke 9, in verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and what's the next two words? Looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now listen. Your mind may be looking backward. You may be guilty of that this morning. You may, you may have had times this past week where your mind's looking backward and not projecting forward. But, Paul, but Paul, you know, God's saying here in, in Luke, uh, uh, Christ is saying in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, that the kingdom of God, that the purpose of God, that the calling of God, it's not about when you grab the plow to do the work in the garden so there may be a harvest. You're not going to go forward in tilling the ground and prepping it for sowing and reaping when you're looking backward. We must go forward. I remember one time I thought I was real, real clever and good enough to drive my four-wheeler backwards. How many of you think that ended well? You're smart. Our, my mom and dad's driveway is fairly long. We went about halfway, and me, my friend, and my younger brother were all on this thing. And he was, he was little. He, you know, he wasn't, I mean, he was in, I don't know if he'd started school yet or not. He may have. Now, it was during the summer. So we go up. About halfway, I get the bright idea to go backwards, looking over my shoulder. Well, I cut it too sharp. It, it cut around and flipped backwards on top of all three of us. Yeah. It never pays to look backward like that. Drive your life backward. Because all you're doing is setting yourself up for a wreck. You can, you can look at your past life. You can think about past pleasures you used to have. And really, at the end of the day, those brought you to a train wreck. They were, they were, there was not peace and joy in those things. You think about past regrets. The devil would love for you to go back and camp out in past regrets. Man, that can hinder you from going forward, just bathing and bathing in them. You may be a parent that really maybe regrets. Of maybe there was some part of you raising your children that you maybe wish you did a little differently. And you go back and you may just weep in that. Friend, don't weep in that. Be the parent you can for your child today. Amen. Go forward for the glory of God. You may think of hurt and pain you caused someone. Or maybe as a spouse, you go back and you look at the former years and you didn't pursue your spouse or love them or appreciate them like you should. Listen, 
We're not someone to live in history. We are a people that learn from history that we may go forward. Amen? For God. Hebrews 6.1. I told you to go there. I didn't forget it. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Let us go forward. He said, we've talked about how to be saved, justification, all that. Let's go forward now to more things for the Lord. Right? Let's go unto perfection. Y'all remember the story of Lot and his wife? Their children? Did it pay well for his wife to look back? Her life was over. You can mark it down. Living out your purpose, the greatest purpose in the world. If, you're gonna, if you dedicate your life to looking backward, your life is just, it's over. I think about Peter. What happened when he looked back in a sense of uh, maybe how he was viewed in the eyes of people. You remember Christ told him, he said, before the rooster crows three times, what are you going to do, Peter? You're going to deny me three times. So in his mind, his perception of what people should see in him, he, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. That's looking backward. If you're saved today, you know him. Our speech, our life, what we do should reflect that I know him unashamed, amen, of Christ. Going forward, not looking backward. Forgetting those things which are behind, whatever it may be, that would distract you or, or, or just... Cause you to throw the gear shift in neutral and not go forward for the Lord. That dear friend needs to be left behind you. Because then he says, forgetting those things which are behind. And then notice what he says in verse 13. Reaching forth unto those things which are before. God doesn't call it. Well, let me, let me read. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Real quickly, if you would please. Clock is not my friend this morning, and I encourage you to hold on a little bit longer. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Turn there quickly. Three verses I want to give you. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 25 and 26. Reaching forth unto those things which are before. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? You think about the, the Greek Olympic games, things like that's going on. They run all. That's what Paul's referring to. But one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, the believer, an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, and this is what I want you to get, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He's like the runner in the Greek games, they get this crown or this wreath or whatever and that's, that's about it. It's an earthly reward. But this calling in this race that's set before us by God, it's not a race of vanity or emptiness. If you notice there, not as uncertainty. God doesn't have a purpose and then not tell you what it is, what it's for, and why you should value it. God is clear about our purpose. Amen? He's clear. He's clear about its value. So Paul says this isn't a waste of time. There are some things that God has set before me. And I'm noticing Henry now. Henry's getting older. Henry's starting to want to pull up on things, whether it's my pant leg or pulling up on his dresser or 
you know, pulling up on things, and he's going to get to where he's going to, you know, there's a lot of things in a house that's set before the child, not really safe for the child. Would you agree? Yeah. And so what, what I know what I'm going to be doing is, is helping him understand that's there, but it's not for you yet. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, that's not for you at all. You, you need to stay away from that. It's going to put a knot on your head. It's going to burn your hand. It's, it's going to hurt you. And listen, I say that to say this. There's a lot of things set before you in this world. A lot of things. But not all things are for you. Not all things are safe for you. But you can mark it down that the things that God has set before you as a single man or single woman or married man or married woman or student or teenager, everything God sets before you is good for you, is safe for you, and is for His glory, for the advancement of the gospel. So you notice what he says as we check this verse a little bit further down. He says in verse 14, I press toward the mark then for the prize of the high calling of God in who? Christ Jesus. So you see this, this prize of the high calling of God. Can I tell you something? The, the value of something is determined by the end it brings to you. Now you can have all the money in the world, but when you die, you leave it with the world. Not the greatest value. Then It's helpful. That's not a bad thing. But when you die, it doesn't help the eternity situation at all. Um, but this. He said, I press toward the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says that, that there is a time where our, in verse 21, that our, 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 our vile body will be changed. You'll be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. We labor. We go forward for Him. And we also, because we have this hope in our heart that we will go upward to Him one day. Ain't that a blessing? There'll be no more labor. They'll just be rejoicing and worshiping in heaven. But we have a target to hit today. We have a, a, a finish line to head toward. That's the calling. And all things that God has given us in His Word for the believer, for the church, that is the calling. Everything about the Christian life, everything about the standards of God in, in regards to His holiness and His purpose, that's our calling. Dear friend, does God make the target clear? Sometimes I wonder, are we confused about the target? No. Any time that you may go and you play basketball, the hoop's clear. It's there, right? You go, you go play volleyball. You know where the net is. You've got to put the ball over on the other side. You see the boundaries out of bounds on the other side. You see your mark. Uh, you think about if you're going to golf, you know where the green is. There's markers that guide you to that hole that you're going to put that little devilish white ball in, you know. You ever play golf? You never get frustrated? Okay. Anyway, um, maybe, you, maybe you're, you've shot, a, um, maybe you're an archer. You ever shoot, uh, go out and shoot your bow sometime? Or you're going to sight in your rifle. You may compete in some of those things. Whatever it may You may be bowling. You know, we have a, you know, Will's a bowler in complete. Whatever. You, the target's there. The one that must adjust is you. I love slicing a golf ball. Love it more than anything. I don't like hitting it straight. I like slicing it. It's not because the hole moved. It's because I didn't make right adjustments to get the golf ball 
to the goal. Get it to the hole. When I've, when I've played basketball, if I've shot and, and airballed it or bang, banks it, you know, bounced it off the rim, it's not because the goal moved. It's because I wasn't accurate. So the point is, listen to me, the target for your life as a Christian and all that that is, the target is clear. Now the wind may blow. There's variables out there. The wind may blow. There's distractions. You must adjust. And can I tell you something this morning? I'm so thankful that he says there in verse 14, it's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. When I miss the mark in being a husband, you know what I can, I can do? You know what I'm enabled to do? I can readjust. I can refocus. I can recommit. I can actually put my, my sights where it needs to be. Because my calling is in Christ, and Christ is in me, and He enables me to follow what He's called me to follow, to do. When I've, when I've, in whatever way of life that you may have missed it, you can realign, you can refocus, you can repent and go forward because it's in Christ and Christ is in you. Dear friend, I'm asking you this morning, there may be some areas in your life that you know God's high calling is on you, but you've been missing the mark in some areas. You've been missing the mark and who you are in Christ. But can I encourage you today, if that's you, Christ can help you get back on target. Amen? To say that I can't is to say that Christ can't. And I can do all things. You'll finish the rest of the verse. I can do... Yeah. Amen, amen, and amen. If you're lost this morning, let me tell you something. Christ is able to save you. Amen? Give you a life, give you purpose. And one day, take you to a home where there's none of this, none of this filth of this world. No, no death, no tears. It's all peace. I'm looking forward to being caught away, aren't you? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment.